0: Are you ready for this? Welcome to Principles with Corey and Logan. I'm Corey. I'm Logan. And we are here to go on the journey of life and leadership growth with you. Welcome to the Principles Podcast. Welcome back to Principles with Corey and Logan. Excited once again because we have a another awesome awesome guest with us today uh someone i've really gotten to know over the last i guess a little over a year now and um i, I consider him a, a friend someone i have a hold in high esteem just because of the integrity but also intelligence and reminds me a lot of logan too uh, uh high integrity high intelligence and just doing a lot of big things so ty crane welcome to the podcast man
1: thank you guys for having me
0: yeah well ty so uh We'd like to kick it off with a first question. It's called Principles with Corey and Logan. So for you, what are some of your core values or some of the principles you try to live out?
1: Um, well, both of you guys uh, know we're, we're all in a, a Bible study group together, so faith is one of my core principles. Um, you know, can't do anything without God, and I firmly believe that. Uh, family is another core principle. Um, I was blessed to grow up in an incredible family. Uh, Mom and dad were very active in my life. My grandparents were very active and uh, kept us in church, kept us uh, acting right. And now I've got a wife uh, who's a true blessing from God and uh, two little kids, a -a three-and-a-half-year-old daughter who looks just like her mom, acts just like my brother. Uh, We'll talk about that at another time. (laughs) And then a six-month-old son um, who's just the happiest baby uh, that I could have ever, ever asked for. So faith and family and then uh, hard work. Um, I, I've grown up in this construction business. Uh, my great grandfather started it. Uh, my grandfather and his brother grew it from there. My father came into the business and now me and my brother are both here. Um, but from from the time I was about five years old, I started flying to job sites with my grandfather and. There weren't a lot of laws regulating a five-year-old getting on the job site at that point. But I can remember walking through the mud, my grandfather in uh, Sunday shoes, and uh, him jumping up on a scaffold, showing a guy how to do something on the job site. And he was, you know, the, the president of the company. Uh, but that just instilled in me that, uh, you know, you're not above hard work. and You're not, you know, position isn't... Uh, something that you're given you have to earn it and so just uh experiencing that at a young age and then just being pressed to live my life that way by my family uh my entire life that's just kind of what what's made me the type of person i am now
0: that's awesome man so your grandfather started your your company dad took over and now you and your brother are there too
1: yeah well actually fl it was my great-grandfather,
0: great-grandfather.
1: started we're fourth generation now Oh wow! Um, but they started small and uh i can't imagine what he would think knowing you know the size of the company that it is now but my grandfather and his brother and my dad were the three owners when fl crane started really expanding and, and growing so those are the three we can credit with that
0: yeah so he just curious, he, he kind of started up as a one-man kind of thing and crew? He did. And- Coming out of the
1: Depression, there weren't a lot of jobs. Um, I think we are founded in 46, 47, something like that. So just kind of uh, people starting to get back to work. He had a lot of family that needed jobs. And uh, he pretty much started pouring concretes for house slabs and small stuff like that, doing some plaster work and uh, just got family members, cousins, nephews, folks like that to come work for him. And uh, my grandfather's all- brother, he, he was a little older and went to college and came back and kind of started the estimating side of things for him. And my grandfather was a hands-on in the field type guy. So he started running crews and uh, that that's kind of how the company was founded.
0: Wow. That's awesome. And now kind of, if you don't mind, give a little plug for what you guys do now. I mean, you guys are all over the kind of the Southeast. Um, How many team members do you have and what's kind of your focus right now?
1: Yeah. So we've got uh, just under 500 employees right now. Um, We have offices from Austin, Texas to Melbourne, Florida, uh, up into Nashville, Memphis, all over Mississippi and Alabama. And uh, we we just planted the Melbourne, Florida office. We we're really excited to get in that market. As Florida's booming, and uh, there's a lot of work work going on. And, um, just really good markets there. Alston's another really really good market. We've been there for years. That was our second office that we planted. Um, but we uh, we are a drywall. Company first, uh, drywall, and metal panels. So the metal studs you see people framing commercial buildings with. We don't do any residential, no wood. So the, the metal building, metal metal studs, uh, drywall exterior finishes where you get like an efas on the exterior of a building, kind of looks like stucco or something. Um, and then metal panels that would be on. The exterior of a Coliseum or the exterior of the Superdome was a big project we did, just for kind of a reference, that that metal that goes wraps exterior walls. And we've just gotten started into what's called load-bearing panelization to where we're building the structure of a building in a plant off-site with those metal studs in a panelized format, shipping them to the job site, standing the panels up, putting decking on top, pouring concrete, and going up from there for multi-store buildings. And that's what I'm truly passionate about because it's, uh, it's hard, it's a little more challenging than uh, say hanging drywall or something to where it's, it's not as much of a commodity as some of our other scopes. So we're doing some stuff that really um, takes a lot of technology, it takes a, a really good tech team, which we've built um, a lot of engineering. We've got some great engineers that we work with and um, kind of, it's kind of perfect for the Southeast. So our market, when you think about buildings that you see in Mississippi, Alabama, uh, even Texas, they're, they go out, not up. If you think about it, there's not a lot of high rise in, in the states that we work in aside from some condos and stuff that you see on the coast, which are are built different than this load bearing. Uh, But load bearing fits our market really well because you can go one to 10 stories pretty easily and economically versus steel or concrete. Um, But when you get into the 20 or 30 story buildings, like you would see in the Northeast, it doesn't fit us well, it doesn't fit the system well. So our market is kind of perfect for, we're trying to be on the front end of the bubble and uh, doing some really cool stuff there that, that fits us really well.
0: That's really cool. One of the things that what, what I heard in there is, you know, you, you talked about how, how FL Crane started. It was mm-hmm. like, let's just pour some, pour some slabs and concrete for residential. And where you are now is what I hear in that is, is growth and change, and mm-hmm. not being afraid to to be on that front edge, and you just talked about it being on that that fringe right there. How do you? And a lot of people are afraid of change. Uh, they they they're almost resistant to change. I guess for you, what's your thoughts on change and and how that relates to growing and staying staying on the forefront?
1: I you know I've heard the uh, the saying you're either growing or you're dying, yeah. And uh, I think it's accurate. I, Uh, And change is a big part of growth. You, you cannot stay relevant in the construction market, and you can definitely can't grow in the construction world without change. Technology wasn't a thing 15 years ago. Uh, Now every project is run through technology, and the unwillingness to get on board is kind of like Blockbuster Blockbuster versus Netflix, where you know they didn't want to change. Well, now Netflix is, is the Billion or billions and, and blockbusters no longer. Um, that's the way I see it in construction, too. There are still some good companies that haven't ad- adapted technology, but they're dying out. Um, they are going to residential to where you don't need as small residential. A large residential actually needs some technology as well. Um, but the unwillingness to change just kind of pushes you down further down the food chain. And so uh, I think it's, it's a necessity and it doesn't come easy. Um, we've got guys that, you know, I've always, I've done it this way for 30 years, why would I change? And five years ago, that was a, a very hot topic. It, it was something that we fought a lot and we put some really good people in really good spots on the team. Uh, got the right people on the bus, if you will and change is a little bit easier for everyone to accept. Now we've kind of earned some trust there and shown them that if you make this change, it makes your life easier or it allows us to do this. The The offsite panelization with the, the load bearing stuff I was talking about a minute ago, very, there's a lot of skepticism there. There, there were some skeptics and we did one project and then the guy that actually installed the stuff was like, I don't want to do anything else. I want to do this only for y'all. The next project with a different guy, same same concept. He wants to do nothing but load bearing penalization, and he wants to be the guy that runs it. And so the more of these we do, the more we have people internally who are bragging about it and love it and don't want to do anything else. To where I'm hoping that in the long term it shifts our company focus to to that side, to where we're you know our, our guys want to do it, they're happy to do it and we're good at it. So we'll be the load bearing authority in the Southeast is what my hope is for the next five years.
2: How do, you, how do you balance the being on the cutting edge and innovating and being in those emerging markets with the risk of, hey, this is uncharted territory, nobody's done this before, the research and development that, that comes with it, the building a brand to be that leader in that space how do you guys kind of go through that process of those trade-offs and, and which trails to blaze and which ones, hey, we may not want to be the first mover in this one? Yeah, well, so
1: load-bearing panelizations been going on for 30 years. It's just um, rolling your own studs and doing it off-site instead of on-site that type of stuff is is kind of new. So we're, we're taking what we know from the past and we've got a really good team that comes together before we make these decisions, but guys that have been doing this for 20 or 30 years that are involved and on board. And then you've got the young guys like me that are throwing out ideas and they'll reel us back in. And so there's a really good collaboration, a lot of thought that goes into it prior to making these decisions. But then there's a lot of trial and error too and you just gotta be willing to, uh, to take a few punches to, you gotta know that it's worth it, I guess. Um, so we realized that if, if we aren't the authority on what we want to do, then we're kind of, we're not being the F, FL crane that I grew up knowing. Um, in the Southeast, if you needed manpower, At one time, you called FL Crane. If you needed a big casino built, there there was nobody else to call. And then people started catching up with that. So what is our next step? Load bearing. And so we're we're taking some punches here and there, but um, we're learning every time. Every time we fail, we learn. Every punch we take, we learn. Every mistake we make we figure out a better mousetrap, a better way to do it. So we've, we've done about five or six projects with this new system. I've been heavily involved with all of them, I love it. Uh, I know they wish I'd keep my nose out of it, but I just, I, I love being a part of it. Um, but we've made minor changes every step of the way, whether it be the way we track production, whether we, we've even changed the number of men on a table building the panel in the shop. It started with four, it went to three, now it's at two per table, I mean, cut your production in half right use two people instead of four and getting the the table uh getting the panel built in the same amount of time we uh we've gone as far as designing our own tables and you spend you know fifteen thousand dollars twenty thousand dollars to get a table built that may or may not work but when it does it's pretty sweet and uh that's just some some wins there some losses but you got to be able to risk here and there just to for anything good to come of it, you got to be willing to risk it. So
0: that table, that, that was your kind of idea. That's your invention, right?
1: Yeah, that was a cool one.
0: Um, we had had a problem in, in load
1: bearing, you basically, the studs, you know you've got your bottom track and your top track and your studs in between that make a wall. And in load bearing, the concrete sits on top of those walls where in a traditional building you either got a concrete column or steel beams and uh, columns that are holding the structure up. This is the actual wall. It's a stud wall, you know, multiple stud walls that are that's holding the concrete up and, and the structure above. So if it's five floors, the bottom's got to be beefed up pretty heavily. But when you load it, it compresses. And so if you've got a bottom track that's u-shaped and your stud doesn't compress all the way down to the the bottom of that track when you load it you're going to have movement there and we couldn't get the studs to compress the way they needed to and so we built a table that runs off no power no air compressors anything like that it's, it's all um, gear driven that we could use on a job site in our shop or whatever in any area of the shop and there's no no electricity to fool with or anything like that. No hydraulics where somebody's going to pinch their hand or something. And uh, it's, it's been a pretty killer t- scenario for us.
0: Hmm. Ty say you got a problem. Let's just figure it out. Let's fix it, right? We'll, we'll make our own, right? I like that.
2: I think that applies, it sounds like, uh, in the small and the larger parts of the business. Um, I mean, you're designing systems in manufacturing and production installation, but then there have got to be some systems in place that have allowed you guys to do what you do in now multiple states as well. Um, the back-end processes, the decision-making processes. How have you guys been able to scale like that from a small one-man family-owned business to now fourth-generation multi-state doing projects with the Superdome?
1: Yeah, um, all I would say 12 of the 14 branches uh, we had. Well, no, actually every branch we've ever opened, it was from a homegrown uh, employee that maybe they, they were working in the field and worked their way up to an estimator. And my grandfather saw something in them or my dad saw something in them and said, you know what, we want to go to, Tuscaloosa, for instance, and a guy named Ray Pruitt was like, I'll go um, start that branch up, or we want to be in Jackson, and a guy named Chip McAlpin, we hired him out of college, trained him as an estimator, grew him into the role, and then and set him up in uh, the management role. That's kind of how we've done everything. Uh, a college buddy of mine is running the Melbourne, Florida office. We graduated in the construction science program at Mississippi State, he worked for us for like eight years, and was doing a great job. Has a great personality, and and that type of person that just attracts people to him. And you know, hey, would you move to Melbourne? And he was willing to do that. Um, but that's how we've grown every branch is somebody that's come up through the company, uh, kind of needs an opportunity to be a, a leader, needs a, the next step, and we've always got markets that we really want to tackle. So when we find the right guy, we put them in that position, give them all that we can to, to build them up, help them find the right people to work underneath them and, and then turn them loose. And, and um, we've got four, 14 branches right now. I believe I could be off of one or two. Um, but each, of, each uh, vice president or myself – I'm president of the company, but I I have three branches that I oversee, and then we've got one vice president that oversees like five, and another one that oversees uh, five or six. But they, um, each of us have that group that we oversee, and then come back and collaborate as a whole. So having the, the folks in Fulton that are kind of responsible for the branches out there, and then branch leaders who grown up in the company that's that's been our biggest bet we've never acquired other companies um never hired and put somebody in place of leadership that we didn't know and didn't trust already but i know it's done out there every day it's just something we haven't haven't been willing to risk
2: so your your speed of growth is really directly correlated to your speed of trust uh, you guys are just building around, Hey, we have these markets that we've identified that we'd like to be in, but we're not going there until we have the person. That's right. Yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. That's a good, that's a good model.
0: Yeah, Yeah. man. I like that. You know, and you, you talk about Logan brought up speed of trust. That trust is both ways there too. And, And finding, you know, you mentioned we, we find a person that fits right, but then trusting you enough to know that they're going to provide me with everything that I need to be successful too. Uh, Man, I think that's awesome. I I think that's great. I think that's good stuff.
2: Well, if I had to guess, I would say it's probably eliminated a lot of the bottlenecks and decision making as well when you're putting systems in place because you trust the person on the other end, you can give them a lot more autonomy right out of the gate versus if you didn't have that trust already built in. So I would imagine it allows you to grow much faster once you are in that market, because they're not restricted to kind of a centralized command and decision-making process that's coming from somewhere that's out of state because you trust the boots on the ground already to make the right decision because you've built that trust over time. Yeah. Yeah
0: good stuff. Uh, Ty, I was kind of curious. I mean, you talked about when you were a kid going to the job sites and flying all over. And I guess kind of at what point did you see yourself actually being in the business? Or is it kind of always, from your point of view, this is something I'd kind of like to do?
1: Yeah. uh, The business has been in me, I guess. Uh, I didn't have a choice. (laughs) I'm the oldest grandchild. Um, I grew up in it all the guys joke that they remember me running up and down the halls when I was like three years old, and, uh, stealing gum out of people's uh, desk drawers and stuff like that. But uh, I grew up here. My grandfather made, uh, made sure that anytime we traveled, I, I always wanted to hang out in the pilot's lounge. You know, five-year-old kid would rather watch TV than go to a job site. That was never an option. I'd ask him every time, but it was never an option. Um, uh, so I grew up with and always loved seeing stuff come from nothing. So, you know, you walk on a job site one month and they've just got some some stud walls stood up. And then the next time you come back, you know, six months later, my grandfather would take me and they're putting floors in and the, the building's complete. Um, that, just seeing something come from nothing and driving down the road and my dad be like, "Yeah, we built that, you know. Uh, it was always really—it was just fascinating to me, and I saw the the pride that they had in what they did, and just kind of always knew this is where I would end up.
0: Yeah. So when you when you transitioned out of college and actually came on board, where where did you start at? Um,
1: so the year I graduated uh, was the year that the tornado hit Smithville and just devastated the town of Smithville. It was also right on the back end of probably the worst two years in our company history from the recession. So In construction, you're really about 18 to 24 months behind any recession in the economy because the work that you're currently doing or when a recession hits, that work's already been funded. But it's the work that hasn't been funded yet that kind of trickles out and the work that's not already designed. So. 2010, 2011 was horrible for construction in general. Everybody in construction struggled. And the tornado hit in Smithville. They didn't really have a place for me out of college at FL Crane. And so I, I came to FL Crane for three or four months. And then we got involved with the Smithville um, rehabilitation of the city, actually, and, and brought a company out of Texas in that, kind of does that. They're program managers for disaster relief, and they hired me for a year. So I I left FL Crane to go there. Uh, Not, I mean, it was just basically a direction from my dad, like, hey, (laughs) we don't really have a spot for you anyways. You need to go work with them while there's an opportunity and learn something outside of the company. So I worked for them, learned a a ton from that side of it. it It's basically the owner's representative. So we Work directly for the town. We we're in meetings with OSHA, or with uh, FEMA and FEMA every day, trying to uh, get funds for all the different uh, city entities that we we're working for. We would hire the architect and then help uh, on bid day select the GC. So um, I got basically a couple levels up from where we work in the world we live in. Just to kind of see how that realm of thing works, and 2012, I believe, I came back to FO Crane. Um, and this is, I, I kind of skipped over the start with FO Crane. Uh, the year I turned 18, I worked in the field every summer. Uh, just every trade we had, I had to learn. You know, do one summer of each trade all the way through, all the way through school. I got one break. I, uh, I broke my leg one summer, so I got to sit in the office and learn to estimate. but <laughs> They couldn't use me out in the field. But, um, but other than that, um, so learn the trades in the field, get to know the guys in the field, and then out of college, I came in and, and did the year with Broadus and then came back to FO Crane, estimated for three years. Uh, when I was awarded a project, I would manage it, so I got the project management side as well. And then moved into an operation officer type role, and I guess I was in that role until last year, um, or until November 2019 when I took on president. But um, the operation role was basically trying to improve. I, I took it as like let's improve all of our processes because. We've had some some good times in the past and you like get real relaxed when things are going well and you kind of let the processes drop off. People forget them or they don't train the new guys on the processes. So we kind of just revamped all that and and really looked at the way we do things, why we do things that way, should we change it? Had a ton of change. Uh, Several of the guys were like, can we not just get one thing right? and then go on to the next change, so uh, I, I was throwing a lot at them, um, but everybody got on board, and we made some uh, great improvements, and it's really been paying off during the good times when when everybody in construction is making money. Well, we're, we're making extra because we're doing things right, and then when the bad times hit, we'll know our cost. We know, you know exactly what we can get away with as far as dropping our margins uh, to be successful, low bidder on work, and still make an a okay profit that we can keep the doors open and, and make it through the, the difficult times. So uh, that, that was my focus, has been my focus for the past six years now.
0: I was kind of curious, that that journey there, what, what are some of the some leadership lessons you've learned along the way? Because you've, you've seen it all the way growing up, you, you talked about your granddad and then starting with the guys in the field and all that whole journey there. What, what are some of the key learnings that you've had that kind of shaped your leadership?
1: Uh, leadership's earned.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: so it's not a title, it's not a position. Um, my grandfather, he, he would work in the field even when he was you know running the company leading the company uh, and they respect him for it and all my life I've, I've always heard all the guys in the field they'll run through a brick wall for johnny crane they'll do anything for johnny crane and you know you you ask why are you you learn why he earned it he earned that respect and <laughs> working in the field out of uh, 18 years old you know just right out of high school, all through college, they gave me crap, like just trying to pick at me because I was the grandchild, you know, the the kid with the silver spoon, you know. And so I always had to work. Just, I mean, I had to give 110% or they would not respect me whatsoever. So uh, by the end of the summer, though, that crew, liked me, they respected me and they, they knew that whenever I went on to other things that um, I had their best interests at heart and I wasn't, you know, I was gonna work hard for them to make sure that uh, our company is headed in the right direction. And uh, I, I mean, just, just knowing that I've got to put out an extra effort and be willing to sacrifice personally for the gain of the whole, the gain of, of the good of the whole company. Um, and, uh, Simon Sinek, he, he wrote a book, leaders eat last. And I love that book and I've taken so much away from that. Um, I've read it multiple times, actually, just, uh, just the, the concepts in there of, of being willing to, to sacrifice for the greater good. But also, um, if you are perceived as that leader, you have to go fight the fight, uh, you know when when the group needs protection, uh, when when the bad's coming, when corona, when covid hits, you have to be out at the forefront of that, letting everybody know that it's going to be okay, and that you got them. You're not going to send them home where they can't feed their families. They're not going to get furloughed from our company. Stuff like that that they respect, and they when when they hear it from you, and you can see it in their eyes that they believe it, and you know you've got them. They're they're willing to follow you. You're their leader. And, uh, I mean, that, that was a big deal. We, we weren't going to let anybody go without during this whole deal. So, and luckily we didn't have to The construction industry stayed hot and we got probably, uh, a downturn for construction. That is possible late 21 where it'll be slower, but that's why we've opened up new offices. And that's why we've, um, just started chasing new areas of work. We, we used to not take load-bearing. We've expanded our metal panel operation to where we're chasing a lot more doing double what we would have done in the past so that we've got places to put people. And said so that we've also got markets that are hot like Florida and Texas that will, they'll be hot even during a recession. So um, we've, we've thought strategically into the future to make sure that our people feel protected, know they're protected and, and uh, do you
2: have a key question? Yeah. Um, well, I, I was going to ask um, earlier, um, and then you touched on it again. Um, being fourth generation, uh, a lot of times you get into the third, fourth, and fifth generation, and those people aren't as hungry as mm-hmm. the first and second. They didn't see the struggle and they didn't see the growth and, and the sacrifices that were made to get there. Sounds like a lot of that is owed to some time with your your dad and your grandfather um, and seeing those things firsthand. But what drives you and keeps you hungry um, right now uh, versus what in a lot of instances is, is where a, com- a company or a legacy starts to falter a little bit.
1: Yeah. Well, so I've always been told the third generation fails, right? And uh, we've made it to the fourth. Um, but I, I think to I, I get to the end of the question in just a second. But I, I think the reason that so many fail is that um, one, you've got the grandchildren that want to live the lifestyle of the grandfather and everybody wants to feed from the company but nobody's willing to do the work and the comp i mean you think about it like a, a grandfather has two or three kids and they have two or three kids now you got eight grandchildren wanting to feed off of the same company that the one started and fed off of so now you need to be eight times bigger um or or even larger than that if you because of all the other family instances so I think the unwillingness to change and the wanting to do exactly what my grandfather did, and not, uh, not have new things coming into the business, not being willing to branch out—that's what what causes you to fail. There, but as far as uh, personal drive, I've—it's uh, just I hate failing. <laughs> Corey and I talked about it before we started here. Um, High school baseball, I despised striking out because I felt like I lost. Uh, the pitcher had absolutely beat me in to the point where I would – I might swing and dribble, a, you know, the equivalent of a bunt back to the pitcher, but that was better than striking out. And so I would almost – when I get one strike, two strikes on me, it was a mental thing that looking back now screwed me up worse um, – you know, big leaguers strike out all the time, but they, they hit home runs with two strikes a lot of the time, too, because they're not scared to take a swing. I was scared to take I wanted to make sure that that ball went forward one way or another. And uh, so the feel, fear of failure has always been in me, um, which it's not a great thing. But I refused to fail. And uh, seeing that just my family, I'd, I won't fail them. And uh, that's what drives me is is being able to look at my little girl my little boy and saying, I gave it all and (laughs) left it all in one and I didn't fail you. And so that's,
0: that's what drives me internally. You know what? I I say we call it healthy discontent with failure. That's what we'll call it, Ty. There you go. Go ahead, Logan. I'm
2: sorry. Do you find that, That makes it hard for you to give up a course of action, even if you're on kind of the wrong path with it, because you don't want to quit at things as well. Or is it just like a failure thing, not a, hey, I need to give this up so we can pursue a different opportunity and and where that opportunity cost of, hey, maybe we need to go into load bearing. Maybe we need to go into this other thing, but I just don't want to quit because I don't want to quote unquote fail. Is that something that you struggle with? And if so, how do you kind of beat that?
1: I I did struggle with that and I've uh, come to the I've been made aware that like uh, I went to the Leadership Institute with a a consulting firm called FMI and they they do these uh, 360 analysis and um, Myers-Briggs and all all kinds of um, uh, just profiling and anyways they, they made me aware that just my personality type, I'm going to hold on to an idea and uh, be very passionate about it. And it's just impossible for me to see how the guy on the other end of the table doesn't agree with me. And being made aware of that, I, I'm very cognizant of, like, you know, maybe this isn't the best idea. So I, I've learned to value different opinions. Um, and I, I, I take others advice. I, um, I heard one time that if if the leader of the room, if everybody agrees with the leader, nobody argues or brings up other topics, then you don't need everybody else in the room. So, you know, if the president of the company or CEO of the company doesn't get challenged ever, then you don't need the vice presidents and the CFO and anybody else that would would challenge them. So um, I it's just a self-awareness that I have to work out, but uh, I've seen people try to hang on to operations too long, and a lot of us, loyalty to the people, but what I try to do, I never want anyone to ever lose a job at FL Crane, you know, if they quit, that's one thing, but I would never want to have to tell somebody that, hey, we don't have a spot for you anymore, so we always look at transition into something that's better suited for us if it's not working. And uh, that's – I try my best, and our team tries our best, not to hang on to anything too long, but to also keep our people. Because that's, that's our asset. That's the biggest asset we have.
0: Well, Ty, I know we're right up against the time there. We want to we end with a little bit of rapid fire real quick, okay? <laughs> so just a, just a couple of rapid fire. I've got about two or three, and then Logan's got the – the big one there—that's always Uh-oh. awesome. <laughs> so, all right. Um, what book you reading right now, Ty? Hmm?
1: Uh, it's a book called Traction. Traction. Yeah, okay. I, I just cracked it open, um, but it, it's really good so far.
0: Okay. Yeah. What? 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 Uh, what's the latest lesson that you've learned? Most recent lesson. Hmm. Um shoot, that's a tough one. <laughs> it could be family related, it could be health or work or whatever.
1: Yeah, you know, I don't it was a lesson to me. It might not be the lesson, you know, you you guys might not consider it a lesson, but uh my little girl, she's three and a half, she's wide open, but she is so filled with joy and we get on her all the time because she doesn't mind well. But I, I listened to a song. It's called "Back to Free" by Drake White. It'd be an awesome. I mean, just look it up sometime. Uh, but it, it talks about a, a child's joy and how, like, when you turn 18, things get serious and you you lose that childlike joy. So, that's listening to that song. Watching my daughter, I, uh, just the, the thought of I'm not going to steal her joy. Mm-hmm. So I learned that lesson of. Um I've really got to to watch how I reprimand her or you know, getting on her for every little thing might not be the best best deal when she's three and a half. Let's let's not steal that joy from her. My hmm. wife and I have talked about that. But that was a big one for
0: me. Wow, that was really good. Yeah. I I I I feel myself falling into that a lot too, and I I constantly have to remind myself of the verse of scripture that says, fathers don't exasperate your children. And that, man, that's good. I like that, what you just said,
2: Logan. Well, that's something a lot about at the mastermind retreat. Also the way that we, um, uh, I don't have kids, but for the fathers in the room, um, uh, the way that we reprimand and, uh, speaking positive words and affirmation to our children to build them up. Um, because of that formative state that they're in and how they absorb things and don't have the ability to reject things that aren't true um, and how that's gonna form their belief systems about themselves and, and the world around them. Um, so, man, I think that's an awesome, awesome nugget.
0: Yeah. All right, Logan, what, what's, our, what's our last question there? What you got? All
2: right. uh, what is one thing that you knew to be true that over the past five years you learned was not true? just like an, maybe an operating belief uh, that you had and, and you were like, man, that is not true. Um, for me, it was – I thought that certain successful people like really had it figured out and then, you know, you get further into things and you're like, man, there's really not a blueprint um, for success. We can put systems in place, but nobody had a, a, a blueprint for, for COVID – um, there were a lot of, uh, like Warren Buffett says, you find out who's naked when the tide goes out. So, um, w- what is something that you believe to be true that you've found out in the last five years wasn't true and kind of opened your mind?
1: Uh, failure. Yeah. So I believed that failure was a bad thing. I, I truly, like, that was what I was most afraid of is failing in any way, even small stuff but you learn so much through failure. And the more books I read, the more podcasts I listen to, the more experiences I have in life, you learn so much from failure that failure can be a good thing. Failure is a a positive thing. So um, that is the one thing that that comes to mind when you ask that question over the past five years. And I think a lot of that has to do with just growing up a little bit. Um, You know, at, at 25, failing when you're, uh, you don't really have much money left in the bank and, you know, one failure could, could kind of wipe you out. Whereas, you know, being mid thirties and, and hearing that uh, you're willing to, to fail and learn from it. So yeah, it's believable now. It wasn't believable then, I guess.
2: Has that removed uh, a level of stress uh, from your life a little bit, kind of letting go of that?
0: Yeah, it does. a ton. That's awesome. Ty, man, really, really appreciate your time. You added a ton of value. Let me ask you this. So if someone wanted to reach out to you, uh, maybe, maybe somebody listening and, uh, they're in that industry and they want to come out and reach out to you and your company and see what you may be able to do for them. How do they uh, find out more about you and what you and your business are doing?
1: Yeah. Um, we, uh, we're on all social media platforms, uh, F. O. Crane and Sons, um, I, d- I don't know the specific taglines, but if you search FL Crane Sons, it, it pops up, or flcrane.com. Uh, we've got a new mo- uh, new video of uh, one of the big load-bearing projects we're doing uh, in Tuscaloosa, actually. So it'll be hitting all of our social media platforms really soon. It'd be great for people to see that, kind of get an idea of exactly what we do.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Well, guys, uh, really appreciate you taking a listen to this episode of Principles with Corey and Logan. Make sure to subscribe and share this with a friend. Subscribe so you can make, uh, you can uh, stay up to date with any of the new episodes. We appreciate you guys. You have a great day
2: and God bless. Thanks so much for spending your time with us today. As you go about your day, remember to ask yourself as a parent, child, sibling, business owner, customer, boss, teammate,